watchers in the fourth dimension. Somewhere on this planet there are 10,000 Daleks. You know, after this I think I must take up hot air ballooning. It really is most exhilarating. Hello and welcome back to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Don. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. And they spread their spores in that liquid they've discharged. This episode, Terry Nation is back for the first time since 1965. That's right, we're discussing Planet of the Daleks. But before we talk about that, Riley's going to do the mail. Over to you, Riley. We have some mail for the three doctors. Dave Sanderson says, oddly, my favorite from the third doctor. I say oddly as it's dominated by the appearance of Pat and Bill. Love John in this one as well. The regular idea of doctors arguing comes in here in full force and the odd idea that the other doctors listen in awe to the old man, who is actually the youngest. Sad to see William Hartnell in such a fragile state, but even his tiny cameo gives me great joy. Omega makes a wonderful over-the-top opponent with a genuine backstory. Even in his hubris and shouting, he manages to make you feel pity for him. P.S. Benton rules! (laughs) Some Julie bait there. Yep. Absolutely. Kieran James Evans says that this is an odd story to rate, similar issue for the five doctors, that's in our future, as the actual plot isn't that brilliant and some bits look a bit too cheap. But as a celebration, it does deliver and Stephen Thorne as Omega is wonderfully over the top. I'd probably give it seven and a half over ten. Everyone seems to really like Omega, apparently. We were fans, I guess. Steve Holt. Exactly. (laughs) John Ryder says, I was about 10 years old when they announced the plans for the 10th anniversary storyline, and I couldn't wait to see it, but I was slightly disappointed by it, especially the jelly monsters that even at the time looked silly and rather cheap, and the fact that William Hartnell wasn't able to take part fully with the other two doctors because of his health issues. But it still had some great moments, especially with the late and great Nick Courtney, which I hope is not forgotten. The Brigadier going crazy was a highlight of that serial to me. (laughs) John McMillan says, love every line and scene easily in the top 10 best stories ever. It broke the mold. That is high praise. When we finish, I'll tell you if it's top 10 or not. (laughs) Beardo Beatnik. I think jelly babies are gross. They taste like already been chewed wax lips. (laughs) Oh, no. Doctor Who, 60s, 70s, 80s, says, holy Moses, I absolutely adore the three doctors. The amazing chemistry in between Pat and John, Stephen Thorne's, here it is again, gloriously over-the-top Omega, the marvelous twinkly score from Dudley Simpson, and last but not least, the Gel Guards. What a monster. Nine dark sides of my mind out of ten. I like that rating. And Alex Kefsoglu, whose name I've tried to pronounce twice now, says, Great podcast as always, guys. Love the story. I live in Cromer. It's a small town stuck on the east of England, a million miles away from anywhere. And the mention of it in Doctor Who was ridiculously exciting to 10-year-old me when I first saw this story. And it still is today. I bet it is. That sounds amazing. That's awesome. I know. It's very sweet. In regards to our season nine retrospective, Nathan Law says, I'm really surprised on the best worst results here. I was really expecting Curse of Peladon to win out on the best category, and I'm kind of flabbergasted that the mutants didn't make the worst. I personally think Dave the Daleks is best, but I know that one gets too much flack from people in general. Maybe the Daleks didn't need to be there, but it doesn't make it any less of a great story. Regardless, I also think really highly of Peladon, which generally gets high praise from fandom as well, so I was really expecting that to win. I think all three six-parters this season drag, and that alone puts them under Peladon and Day, in my humble opinion. I guess we will agree to disagree about Day of the Daleks. I loved Curse of Peladon. I think I said that was my favorite. Yeah. I like Day of the Daleks probably more than anyone on the show, and I love Peladon as well. So yeah, those are all solid. And I think, as we said, it was just a really strong season in general. There was not really anything that we disliked. We even enjoyed the Time Monster, which, let's be honest, is a complete pariah in fandom. But <laughs> we had a good time with it. Yeah. So I wouldn't take best worst for season nine to really mean much with us. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean good or bad. It just means what did you like out of a good season throughout And Bill LeBon on the Time Monster says, as always, I love your rating system. Thank you. We work on that very hard. And also, Julie, I loved your serial summary. Once again, another plaudit for Julie. Wonderful, wonderful. Everyone loves me, guys. I'm the favorite. Yes. The rest of us are just going to quit, and this can be the Julie show. (laughs) And on that note, that's the end of the mail. (laughs) Anthony, back to you. Over to you, Julie. No, I'm just kidding. Thank you, Riley. (laughs) 
As a reminder, we love getting your feedback, thoughts, comments, and questions. And as you've just heard, we do try and read them out on the show. So please do get in touch. You can contact us through Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at atwatches4d, or you can email us at watches4d at gmail.com. Anyway, back to Planet of the Daleks and onto our behind-the-scenes segment. This serial is very much like the last one, Frontier in Space, as they were originally conceived together as a 12-part story, until just about everyone involved except Barry Letts said, don't do it, guys. As we mentioned last time, the production team instead decided to develop two interconnected six-part stories, and each one would feature one of the Doctor's two most popular enemies. The first would feature the Master, and the second would feature the Daleks. As Terry Nation had negotiated first refusal on writing any future Dalek serials, he was approached for permission to use the Daleks by script editor Terence Dix, and since this coincided with a lull in his other work, he opted to exercise his option to write this. He was commissioned to write it under the initial title of Return of the Daleks. This later became Planet of the Daleks, and then Destination Daleks. Bet you guys weren't expecting that. Interestingly, Nation was unaware that the series had done away with individual episode titles way back in 1966, <laughs> because he hadn't watched it since then, apparently, and gave each episode its own title in his initial draft. I want to know what those titles are. Uh, me too. I could have sworn I saw that somewhere. If you find it, Don, let us know. Okay. I'm guessing that each episode ends with Of the Daleks. <laughs> <laughs> And in an amazing act of pettiness, Nation introduced a Dalek Supreme in the final episode as he was unhappy with David Whittaker's introduction of the Dalek Emperor in Season 4's The Evil of the Daleks. Unlike previous Dalek leaders, which had been mostly depicted in an all-black colour scheme, the Dalek Supreme was described in Nation scripts as sporting a black and gold livery. In the director's seat, we have the return of David Maloney, who we have previously seen directing three serials in Season 6, being... The Mind Robber, The Crotons, and The War Games. So pretty strong track record there. One of the first challenges that he had to contend with was that he initially only had the three Daleks previously used in Day of the Daleks to work with. The Gold Dalek was repainted in grey livery to match its two brethren. Seven additional Daleks were also constructed for the serial by Westbury Design, but these were found to be of an inferior quality as they were predominantly made from wood rather than from fiberglass like the traditional Daleks. With that in mind, these so-called goon Daleks, that's apparently what they called them, were kept in the background as much as possible. With only three high-quality Daleks available, some changes had to be made to accommodate this in the scripts. In episodes 5 and 6, the original intent was to have both Rebek and Kodal masquerading as Daleks, but instead Kodal had to be hidden in Spiridon furs. For the Dalek Supreme, the production team ended up requesting that Terry Nation loan them the refurbished casing that he had been given by Aru Pictures following the completion of the Daleks Invasion Earth 2150 AD film. This Dalek was given a new paint job and a torch was incorporated into its eye stalk. Just before location filming started, the serial's title reverted back to Planet of the Daleks as producer Barry Letts felt that Destination Daleks lacked a sense of intrigue. And then additionally, while we're talking about David Maloney, the first block of filming also included remounts for the ending of Frontier in Space, so he handled those as well. Joining him on the creative side, Dudders once again returns to provide incidental music. John Hurst makes his first contribution to the show as designer. He's also known for work on Doomwatch, Zed Cars, and Top of the Pops, and he will return to the show to design season 21's The Caves of Androsani. And finally, as costumer, we have Hazel Pethig, making her only contribution to the show. She also handled costumes for the two Ronnies, Monty Python's Flying Circus, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, Life of Brian, A Fish Called Wanda, and Blackadder Back and Forth. With those credits, she obviously endeared herself to John Cleese at some point. <laughs> the serial itself was broadcast between the 7th of April and the 12th of May 1973. Notably, the first episode reached ninth place in the UK viewing charts, marking the first time that the show broke into the top 10 since the final episode of The Chase way back in 1965. So with that, we'll move into our short summary, which I believe is with Julie this time. Julie, over to you. So this is Terry Nation. What do we get? We get lots of exposition, lots of Dalek dialogue, a jungle, a Thaw companion romance, and a thwarted Dalek invasion. That's it. That's the story. <laughs> Succinct. <laughs> and completely accurate. Yep. <laughs> KTEL Records presents Terry Nation's Greatest Hits. 
<laughs> yep. Let's talk about it. And we start off with something we haven't had in a really long time, a reprise from the prior story. Now, before we get into that, I did find the names of the individual episodes. Okay. And I'm just going to say them as we talk about each one. This one was named Destinus, which was the original name for Spire Dawn. That's a very Terry Nation name for a planet. It is. Okay. All right. I can dig it. Yes, we left off of a cliffhanger of a serial, not just a cliffhanger of a previous episode. Yep. The thing I have to comment on, and it's not very obvious until you get further in, is it is so loosely connected to the previous serial <laughs> that I'm like, they're really not connected. They're not interconnected. <laughs> I'm sorry. They're really not. There's a lot more connection between like early first Doctor serials yes. yeah. than there is in here. This yes. one is more like the Doctor had a slight headache from before and it carried over for a little bit. And now we're into this story. That's about the connection level. I see what they were trying to do. It's we've thwarted the Dalek plan to put Earth and Draconia at war. Now we've got to go and stop the Dalek army from doing anything. But it's so badly explained in this that that's the connection. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like it's the same set of Daleks. <laughs> like, it really doesn't seem like it like you go to this planet and it's like they seem to be having like they've been there for months if not years studying the spirit on so i don't understand how they're connected with this other group that has been planning a secret attack it, it I, I don't know it very poorly executed but ignoring the connection let's take this as its own story that is extremely loosely <laughs> <laughs> a follow-on and in typical Terry Nation style, start out with a member of the TARDIS crew incapacitated. Oh, you mean the doctor's drug binge? Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> he has some really weird side effects to being injured. He gets frost because he gets so cold. I don't know. That explains why he, despite how ill he was feeling, how he was able to change his wardrobe completely. <laughs> From the green to the purple prince kind of look. I love the purple prince kind yeah, of look. Yeah, the purple oh. does look good. And why he's now keeping gloves on the entire time. Interesting choice, but I like it. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, it's weird. That's it. I feel like if we're bringing that up, we should talk about Joe's top. It kind of looks like a suit jacket lost a fight with a piece of luggage. <laughs> well, first off, the shoulders reminded me of the 90s where you had the very, very yeah. pointed shoulders. Yeah. So there's that. And like luggage, but specifically like the old fashioned like duffel luggage that mm -hmm. you would see in like yeah. the 50s or so. Yeah, I could see that. But then the doctor in between the frost and this and that and the wardrobe changes gives her the log. Record on the log. Something we've never seen before and we'll never see again. No. <laughs> and how useful was it? Good question. Good question. How <laughs> useful was it? Okay. One thing I did love. So she has the log and she decides that she needs to go out and find someone to help the doctor. So she first looks through the camera onto the planet and it brought me back to that original Dalek story. It's black and white and it shows a jungle. And I was like, oh, this just brings me back home. Because Terry Nation cheats off of his own homework. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. Because I'm completely with Julie with this. There's some silly stuff in this serial. But at the same time, it took me back. Yeah, It was very nostalgic, and, and I was okay with that. And that just continues, right? So as soon as Joe goes out, it's not just a jungle, but a jungle with hostile vegetation, which nope. also takes us back to Dalek's master plan. I have to say this. Literally, this is by far the most disgusting Doctor Who serial <laughs> we have seen. <laughs> All manner of gross colors, nauseating textures... It's like a parade of multicolored or beige piles of gloop and mucus everywhere. <laughs> if you told me that the production team grabbed piles of trash from the BBC commissary, left it out in the sun for a week, and then put use it as props for this, I would believe it. <laughs> I mean, it never lets up every single episode. I was like, oh, really? God, this... There is a lot of gross green stuff going on. Well, then don't forget the beige bacteria thing or the, the fungus. Dalek mud fungus. wrestling. Yeah, yeah, fungus. The Dalek mud wrestling. And oh, God. When you said disgusting, I thought you were going to go kind of sexual and suggest that the spray over the. Um... Well, that's part of it. Yeah, that, that <laughs> definitely the plant 
secreting disgusting liquid yes that would definitely fit oh i was a little sad because when joe's looking out through the camera and that's when something hits the lens right and i had hoped it was something purposefully hitting the lens to like block the lens so that people couldn't see out but then no i was disappointed it was just a flower (laughs) how disappointing (laughs) but you know what we did get in the jungle we got an actual score with woodwinds (laughs) Yes. Uh, oh, be still in my heart. It was wonderful. The music was definitely a pickup. It really was. While Joe's off out in the woods, I want to talk about what's going on with the TARDIS because this fungus stuff builds up on the doors. Okay, cool. And then this seemingly infinite sized ship starts running out of oxygen because it's just the doctor on board. Clearly, the contrivance circuit was running haywire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that one right there. They did not explain that at all. Good old Terry Nation. All it needed was some kind of line about the fungus leaching oxygen from it or something like right. that. Yeah. It just didn't have that. Also, we have that whole weird oxygen thing going on. That's great. Then we get introduced to Terran and Faber. And I immediately was like, are they falls? <laughs> and at first I questioned it because they weren't wearing the V-neck shirts or the tight leather pants with holes strategically placed in them. Sex pants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good old sex pants. And they're far less naive as well. There's a distinct lack of sex pants and naivety. <laughs> I love They've definitely lost a lot of their glam rock roots. But I did like it when Joe discovered the dead body of the pilot. I thought that was cool. Interestingly, I thought when Joe was talking to them, her speech patterns really reminded me of the way Susan spoke to Aladon in that first Dalek serial. Hmm. I don't know if that was deliberate in the way Terry Nation scripted it, but I was definitely picking up on that. I could not think that far back, Anthony. I've only seen it the one time. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, these are serials I've seen, you know, a lot. (laughs) The other thing I can't believe is that Firadon that is on the ship with her, super heavy breather. (laughs) Disturbingly so. I wasn't quite sure if he was a creeper or just asthmatic. It's a side product of the invisibility. It causes extreme asthma. I couldn't help but think when you would see the old gag of the invisible person holding things, lifting things, while Joe is spying on it with the music. It felt so, so Scooby-Doo to me at that moment, which is not a bad thing. Also, did you notice that Joe kept on stripping? (laughs) <laughs> like she takes a coat off and then she takes like another coat off until she's wearing short sleeves. And I'm just like, Joe, what are you, what are you doing? Also, it was a mistake to do so because that's when the liquid actually hit <sighs> her bare <sighs> arm. I'm like, if you had kept your shirt on, wouldn't have had this problem. When she was hiding in the spaceship, did anyone notice how wobbly the set was? Oh, yeah. Like it was shaking all over the place. And I'm not sure we've ever seen that happen in Doctor Who before. At least not that badly. I mean, the show has a reputation for wobbly sets, and I feel like this is partly where it gets it from. Maybe the Thals are just really bad at spaceship construction. Good God, yeah. That's why they crashed two of the damn things on the same planet. Right? Although the whole timeline of the Daleks and the Thals is very confusing, so I'm not going to think about that too much. It is. (laughs) Better that way. Now we have hindsight, and we can say something, something, time war, something, something. (laughs) and it just wipes it all away. But at the time, yeah, it made no sense. That's just lazy. (laughs) It is, but it works. (sighs) (laughs) So anyway, Invisible Dalek. Before we get onto that, when the Doctor meets the Thals, I really, really love how his first adventure on Skaro has now passed into legend, Mm. and we get references to Ian, Barbara, and Susan. That warmed my heart. I like the references. I think it was a little too easy to say it's a legend. And they had to bring it up somehow. In that scene, or I think it's later on, Baber has a line that really just kind of confused me for a little bit. When describing the planet to the doctor, he says, vegetation that's more like animal life than plant. Creatures hostile to everything, including themselves. <laughs> Is he implying that the plants are harming their own self as well? Self-harm. They're very emo plants. <laughs> I guess. It just struck me as like, there's got to be a better way of saying that if he means that they attack other plants of the same species. Anyway. I really love how this story follows the Dalek format. It has the big Dalek reveal at the end of episode one. That's how it's done. Not midway through, at the very end. Classic. <laughs> and I actually think this is one of the better reveals. 
Yeah. I honestly wasn't expecting them to come in quite so soon. And it was, oh, invisible and then not, oh, okay. Episode two. Episode two with no reprise at all. Just straight into it. Suck it, Frontier in Space. (laughs) (laughs) It was at this moment where I asked the question, are we actually going to resolve the storyline with the master? No? Okay. No. Moving on. Oh, God, no. No. (laughs) By the way, this episode was where I was reminded of this, but you all mentioned how in episode one, there's a lot of nostalgia with the jungle on the scanner and all that kind of stuff. This was where I noticed they used the exact same sound effect as they used for jungles since the very beginning of the show. So all of that soundscape we used to hear in like An Unearthly Child and the Daleks and DMP is in use again here. And I love that. That's why I liked it so much. And then there's moments later on when they're not in the jungle where I'm like, why did they bring back the synth again? (laughs) Uh, So there's a little bit of that going on. What I don't understand is Joe... Trying to pretend the fungus isn't there by just covering her arm with her jacket. Like, Joe. Everything is fine, Method. Hoping she'll get better. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And the fact that she, like, held it over her arm. I'm like, just put the jacket on. I was just grateful that I didn't have to see its disgustingness (laughs) anymore. Someone has a squeamish stomach. I usually don't. I love horror movies, but I don't know what it is about this one that just every single thing was like, oh, God. Need something for this effect. Here's some pasta I found in the fridge. It's been there a while. (laughs) Yeah, basically. There was a comment that was made here, and I think they're mistaken. They say that there were only 12 Daleks on the planet. And based on the number that I've seen around and the numbers that got exploded, I feel like they were off. On their numbers. That's entirely possible. Just things didn't seem to quite add up, especially because they also had Squad 7, which was like who they sent out. And I'm like, if you had seven squads, but you only had 12 Daleks, how <laughs> how does that work? <laughs> Thanks. Okay, cool. Moving on. So I know no one else really pays that much attention to any of this stuff. We have a little bit of an all-star Thal cast. Oh, I, I noticed one Thal. <laughs> You notice Bernard Horsfall? I did. As soon as his voice came in, I'm like, Gulliver, yes. <laughs> Gulliver and third Time Lord. Oh, yeah. Gulliver. I love that guy. And then as Weber, it's Prentice Hancock, who was one of the main cast in Space 1999. Hmm. I was expecting a bit more excitement. Oh, and he, he's been an Outlander, <laughs> by the way, Julie. Okay, yeah, I knew about <laughs> the Outlander one. I haven't seen Space 90 or whatever that other one was. So I've I only know. seen bits and pieces of it. So You're not missing much. It was big at the time, but it has not stood up well. So I'll stick with the Outlander. He was Uncle yeah. Lamb, so. <sighs> okay, so we have more aggressive vegetation, terrible CSO, as yes. Kodal has to fight against an invisible creature. Didn't we have invisible creatures in DMP as well? Yes. Yes. What I was kind of disappointed on, it. well, I understand why. They were like, the CSO is just going to get old, it's going to be expensive, it's going to be frustrating to work with. So eventually they just gave them purple fur capes. But I was kind of sad we didn't get a little bit more of invisibleness. Because then they just looked like purple Yeti. Yes, they really did. Yeah, and that's skipping ahead, because that reveal is in three. I laughed my ass off when I first saw it. This episode does something that I think is quite cool, which is a bit unusual, and that's they give us the impression that Joe might have died Mm. without it even being a cliffhanger. Yeah. And then we just don't see her again for a few scenes. Yeah. I mean, that was a pretty cool little twist. That's one way of not having to write for a character. (laughs) (laughs) And I just realized that's what the point of the log is. So in all the scenes where she's separated at the beginning, she has some reason to give lines instead of talking aloud to herself. She has someone to talk to. That's the only thing that was for. (laughs) Uh, Well, in the spirit of rewriting his own stuff, Terry Nation also gives us a Dalek city complete with a ton of lifts and corridors. Yeah, because I can't go upstairs. Yes. A lot of the Thals here reminded, it reminded me of Mission to the Unknown. Yeah, kind of trying to survive in an extremely hostile environment. And it was like, first there was one crew, and then you later found out there's another crew. Yeah. And also in this episode, we find out that before the Daleks arrived on the planet, they bombarded the planet with bacteria, reducing the native population. That's straight out of Daleks' invasion of Earth. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. It's like he got all of his scripts mixed together, just started crossing out character names. (laughs) 
He put the key plot points on like cue cards and just jumbled them up and <laughs> was like, this episode. Hey, you know what I was excited about? We got another woman on the show. Oh, yeah. Rebecca. Yay. Rebecca, yay. Oh, by the way, I am totally failing in my job. The name of episode two was going to be Mission Survival. Ah, uh, okay. Okay, yeah, yeah. That fits. Keep me honest on this, guys. Okay. <laughs> Come on. Well, we're going to get to episode three real quick. Oh, yep. Oh, <laughs> the other flashback. Joe is cured by a native of the planet with his native medicine. Mm-hmm. Yep. But you know it'd be useful to carry some of that medicine around because those flowers are everywhere. <laughs> yep. Before we move on to episode three, I think we need to discuss the personality of our Thal characters a little bit more, particularly Weber. Angry Weber. How an annoying prick that he is. Oh, yeah. Oh, you mean the classic, hey, we're going to mostly everyone's going to accept the outsiders and there's going to be the one who's angry at the world and also the one who wants to do nothing but just be violent? Yes. Yes, that one. That guy. I think that concludes the discussion. (laughs) Yeah, I think everyone else had some complexity. I just feel like, as you were kind of alluding to, that his character was there needlessly just to provide conflict within the group. Not a fan. Yeah. They could have made him a little bit more nuanced. I think they did a little bit in like episode five or six, a tiny bit, but not enough. Definitely Wait, not enough. Hang on. Which one got killed? Was that Marat and not Weber? Oh, Weber got well, killed. Weber gets killed. Yeah, yeah. Later. Eventually. But like it takes. Yeah. Yeah. He's angry up four. until that point. And then Marat becomes the angry one. Like. <laughs> <laughs> a- anyway. It's an honorary title amongst Thals. Somebody must be the angry one. They all look the same wait yeah. wasn't that the blonde one oh <laughs> 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 yeah very quickly once we actually see a scene with lots of daleks i noticed there was one scene where we just to talk about the goon daleks there was a scene with eight daleks in and six of them just don't move at all there's no like wiggling of the eye stalks and the eye stalks aren't even pointing out straight some of them are just pointing upwards and it just looked terrible <laughs> i like the downward pointing <laughs> eye stalks they just make the doll look look sad. <laughs> I mean, again, people were not happy with that. So, you know, it yeah. is what it is. Hey, we find out they have an army. Yeah, Rebecca comes in and she says there are 10,000 Daleks on the planet. And that's our cliffhanger into episode three, which Don was originally entitled Pursued. Pursued? Oh, that's pursued. it? Pursued. That's oh, it. Wow. That's it. Pursued. Snappy. Okay. Yeah. All right. Not as good for, you know, a metal band or a title of a metal song, but... It might be the instrumental. Ah, uh, yeah, it would be an instrumental song. You're right. So... <laughs> I... <laughs> One thing I want to point out about this episode, and I don't know if it was obvious to anyone, but this was recolored by hand. Oh, wow. I, did I noticed it looked a little that. different. I looked online and I saw something and it looked like this one had been, like, recovered somehow. Yeah, they tried their like automatic color recovery process and it didn't quite come out perfect. So they had someone else come in and fix the remaining pieces. So wow. when I first saw this one, it was in black and white and it looked a lot better in black and white, candidly. Uh, I have a question and I don't know that any of us are like experts in science or specific things, but an ice core, can that actually work? Um, probably not. Okay. But (laughs) also not an expert. So, Uh, dear listeners, if you know better than we do, please write to us. (laughs) Educate us. We'd love to hear from you. It's not water ice. I know. Because it's ice, yet it's liquid. So, I don't know. Also disgusting. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) I bet Riley found it disgusting. (laughs) And I mean, this is all part of, of course, the natural occurrence of a ice volcano. Yes. Apparently, Terry Nation have become fascinated with the concept of allotropes. Oh. Yeah, which I don't know how, like, scientifically feasible any of this is, but it sounded good to him. So it's what we got. (laughs) But therefore, we got liquid cold magma. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, volcanoes, that's another nation trope. We had one of those in DMP. And another thing to consider is we have the very important set of explosives that get introduced in this episode. Yes. That they just carry around with little handles because that's super convenient. And yeah, that makes sense. They looked almost like two red Solo cups with a convenient carry handle. (laughs) Yes, pretty much. Honestly, I don't have a lot to say on this episode. It's 
very much, again, exposition heavy, Terry Nation loving middle episode. Talking of nation tropes, because I think all this really is, is just a series of rearranged Terry Nation tropes. We have the Doctor and I think it's Kodal in the Dalek Mm -hmm. City. They disable a Dalek just like they did with mud in the Daleks and it goes thud into the wall, which I loved. I, I mean, is there anything particularly original in this plot? I don't think there is. Not especially. Yeah. Okay. When you said we have the Dalek City, I was really waiting for Aladio, which is disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, I have so many of those saved up. I'm not short on those things in this serial at all. Once the Doctor and Kodal escape from their cell, why is there a coat hanger outside of it? Why do the Daleks have a coat hanger? Um, (laughs) Why do they have chairs in their prison cells way back in the day? Well, I want to talk about chairs. Don't we all? <laughs> we all want to talk about chairs. Um, yeah, I have a lot of questions. Okay, we've got to move on because yes. I have a very inappropriate joke and I don't want to say it, so just move on. Say it. <laughs> all right, so where were we? Well, I think we, we had the Doctor and Kotal have escaped and they're trying to get out. And I think we're about to set ourselves up for what I thought was it to be a ridiculous, goofy looking escape using hot air. But it didn't look nearly as bad as I expected it to be. Well, hold up, because before that, there's the cat and mouse with the Daleks, which I think... That's very classic. It's very Scooby-Doo as yes. well. Yeah. And then you have the Thals trudging through the ice volcano, trying to get out before the whole damn thing erupts, and we get mere seconds of tension. <laughs> and as they get out, some of the Daleks get iced. Oh, Joe in the control center. Where she just presses buttons? Yeah, randomly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah people have done that before i know jamie did that in tomb of the cybermen but it usually doesn't end well yeah she got very lucky she got very very lucky okay so the escape up the ventilator shaft using the heat to carry them up yes it did not look bad it did not look bad but the thing that i couldn't quite wrap my head around is that if they affected the climate inside that room in order to go up that shaft when the Daleks arrive, finally break into the room, instead of sending a Dalek up after them, couldn't they have just readjusted the climate and caused them to come back down? Shh. Ah. For that matter, well, actually wait, because at this point, it's not working. Yeah. yeah. All right. We don't get that until we go into episode four, escape or die. <laughs> That's how you do a segue, kids. And that's a metal band name. (laughs) All right. Before we get to this whole hot air balloon thingy that happens, I'm going to let the listeners know a thing that happened to me, which was I went from episode three to episode six because my app on my television just decided to cut out episodes four and five. So I got really confused because I was like, what happened with the parachute thing? And all of a sudden, this other thing is happening. And Joe and this other... Per- what? I don't understand. And it literally took me like 20 minutes to figure out what was going on. So don't have that happen to you guys. And by then, episode six was over. <laughs> yes. And you did go back and watch episodes four and five, right? I did go back and watch them. Okay. But I went into episode four and five knowing what was going to happen in episode six. You probably didn't miss much. You could have, again, drawn little random Terry Nation plot points out of a hat and had a perfectly (laughs) coherent story. That's actually kind of relevant to how episode four begins, where the cliffhanger has no bearing on anything. Like, oh, no, it's working. It's fine. (laughs) Classic. No tension there at all. But they get an anti-grav disc to come up at them from below, which, again, feels very much like Ian in the Daleks when he's in the Dalek and trying to get into the elevator to get up. That's going to be later. Oh, yeah, they do it again. They do that again. That's later. But also, if our heroic crew had just shut up, the Daleks wouldn't have known they were up there. That's true. Yeah. Just saying. And we get, like, sidebars every once in a while of Joe, and Joe gets herself knocked out because Joe... Yeah, and then when she comes round, she has zero concussion despite the size of that rock. (laughs) Probably because it's actually polystyrene and not really a rock. Hell? We have, again, seconds of tension when (laughs) the balloon parachute thing gives way. Don, is one of the episode titles left called Seconds of Tension? (laughs) It should be. It's not, but it should be. (laughs) There's no slow build. There's nothing, like, 
think back to that first Dalek story when the Thals are coming into the Dalek city and the Daleks are hiding and the music is building and building and building and it's so tense and there is just nothing like that here. It's so disappointing from that perspective. But you know what you do get? You get this adorable reunion between the Doctor and Joe and it was wonderful. Yeah, because they both thought the other was dead. Yes. It's funny, though, because the doctor almost starts arguing with Joe that, no, you're dead. You blew up. I saw it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm here. No, you're wrong. It's funny because, I mean, usually Joe would be the first person to tell you she's dead. (laughs) And then you find out there's a troubled romance between two of the Thals. Oh, my God. (laughs) That I swear to you. Oh, my God. And it gets worse. It gets worse. So it's Taryn and Rebecca. And Taryn's entire mentality is, damn you, woman, for making me fall in love with you. Now the whole mission can be disrupted. Like, really? We're going to do that? And then what's so funny is not moments later, we have a scene of Joe showing a thaw how to do a handshake. And I write down in my notes, I swear to you, I write down like, oh, no, just another (laughs) annoying woman that's going to make a man fall in love with her and then therefore, you know, put the whole mission at risk. Like, and of course, of course, it comes true. (laughs) Oh, except Joe wasn't really a part of that romance. That was very one sided. Which yeah. is why, why was she even like giving that any consideration? Just like, wow. We had exactly the same thing in the Daleks with one of the Thals and Barbara. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, these Thals fall in love real fucking easy. <laughs> or Terry Nation likes to, as we said before, reuse his own work. You know what I'm really sad about is you have Joe going to comfort Rebecca. But then we don't get to hear that conversation. We have to listen to the man's conversation. I was like, damn it. Yeah. Uh. There is a throwaway line in this episode that confirms that the original Dalek plan of putting Earth and Draconia against each other was stopped in Frontier in Space. But they still have this massive invasion army. It's buried. It's not dwelled on. It's kind of blink and you miss it type thing. But it is there, like, very briefly. I vaguely remember that. There are a few, so few, they might as well not have bothered. Yeah. I'm pretty sure someone should have been like, hey, Terry Nation, you really do need to have this tie in somewhat. And Terry Nation was probably just like, screw you, and moved on. (laughs) I mean, that's Terrence Dix's job. Like, Terrence, what were you doing? (laughs) Mate, get it together. Kind of has a whole poochie return to his home planet kind of feel. All right. They then go to this plane of stones. Who else was like very disappointed in this plane of stones? The studio backdrop of polystyrene. <laughs> I well, like the idea. I, I like the, the look. I mean, I, yeah, I wish they had more money to make it look better. I think the idea is there. Yeah, I mean, we get that. And then it's accompanied by various creatures, including this giant unseen flying thing, which, by the way, despite its apparent size, no one can see. How convenient. <laughs> I thought that was going to be something, but nope. <laughs> and then the lights for eyes. I'm okay with the lights for eyes. I know it's a shtick, but I don't know. I thought it was fun. I think they could have maybe done a better job other than literally make it in like a flashlight shining through something, you know, through some glass. But I like it. I didn't mind the eyes. I wish they could have added some shadow with the eyes. Yeah, that would have been nice. But I was just disappointed in like, I was just expecting. And again, I know that they have limited budget and everything, but just like a small little eight foot circle of stone didn't do it for me for a plane of stones. Just saying. <laughs> it's not a plane. And it's on this plane of stones that Vapor once again becomes an annoying shit. And fight, fight, and, fight, fight, fight. And I have to say, I had a, I had an idea. Here's a way to make everyone happy because the leader of the Falls is like, I'm not going to commit to an attack until I know it has the best chance of success. This is what he needs to do. It's brilliant. Tell Vapor, like, oh yeah, we're totally going to do the attack. You should go ahead and, you know, make that charge right now. Use him as a diversion. <laughs> and then do the real attack in a different point of the Dalek's base. That's what they should have done. But hey, when we get the Thal fight, at least it's not provoked by one of the Doctor's companions this time around. <laughs> <laughs> True. I think Joe encouraging them to beat the crap out of each other would have been awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So the Daleks want to release the bacteria again on the planet and wipe everything out. Cool. Again, 
plot point from the Daleks, but that's what we expect at this point. Weber is running in with the bombs to try and destroy the refrigeration unit and walks directly into a group of Spyrodons because he's a fucking idiot. <laughs> Cliffhanger, episode five. Don, what was this one originally called? The Day Before Eternity. Oh, oh there you go. I like that title. That's a good one. Very good title. Hello, London. We are the day before eternity. <laughs> Perfect. So Weber has been taken prisoner by a bunch of people dressed in Muppet skins. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, the rest of the Thals are shooting at lights. <laughs> <laughs> and this is where we get a bit of that mix between synth and melody, where I wish there was more melody than synth. But all right, it's fine. Plot wise, Taryn and Kodal trying to sneak in, right? <laughs> So they mm -hmm. get some Spyrodon furs, <laughs> and then Kodal commits the most amateur mistake possible, talking to the wrong one. <sighs> and Taryn has to come in and rescue him. What an idiot. Once again, pretty sure that's a Scooby-Doo bit right yeah. there. Almost positive. I love slash hate those Spyrodon coat things. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want one, Don? <sighs> Maybe. It certainly would be the easiest Dragon Con costume ever. <laughs> but would it work given the Atlanta heat in September? Oh, no, I would die. <laughs> yeah. I would literally die. It would be, look, a Spyrodon corpse. That's <laughs> Well, you would have to do what the Spyrodons do and basically be naked underneath it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because that's clearly what they are since there's nothing under them. And uh, we know that their garments aren't invisible because of the cloaks. So they're all just running around naked. Yep. Cool. That all happens. Another Thal gets killed because let's just kill all the Thals. And at this point, can we really tell them apart? <laughs> it was Weber that gets killed here, though. Oh, Weber. Oh, yes. that one I was really happy about. Yeah, he yeah. agrees to take the Daleks to the others and then decides he's going to try and run. Right. Like, not even trying to wait for an opportunity. Just, <laughs> just try to go. So then they get back and then they make this, like, bizarre plan and they're going to split up. And Joe does not help with this whole budding romance thing where she's like, oh, I'll go with him. <laughs> she is painfully unaware that she is unintentionally oh. leading him on. Gosh. Yep. And then she is painfully uninterested later on. And like, they <laughs> hold hands, like, like, they're holding hands the entire time. And I'm just like, Joe. She does look like she's about to pass out from running more than she's used to. So he is basically dragging her. But yeah, point taken. This does take us to our one bit of location work for the story. So quarry quarry, guys. And that's for the ice pools, which are the same quarry as we had in Frontier and Space, by the way. Convenient. I know. So I have a question. They legitimately were just doing that to get a casing of one of the Daleks so that they could use one of those to get in, where they had already had two Spiridon coats that they could have used instead. I don't see the necessity for the Dalek. Also, at this point, the Daleks have been ordered to take no prisoners and just exterminate everyone. So it's also for self-preservation. It's a kill or be killed situation. Also, it's a Terry Nation trope. Then they didn't have to lead them to the other group. They could have, like, evaded yeah. or anything else. I think they just had a plan to get rid of the danger by doing this. I agree, though. I'm trying to headcanon it and... No, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> I can only go so far. Let's blame the time war and move on. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, they were nice enough to not show the insides. That's the only mercy of disgustiness <laughs> in this entire serial. And I was kind of surprised. I said, if we're going to do this, if we're going to be this with the entire serial, go ahead and let's go all the way at this point. I want to see this. I want to see how they did it. And then they don't. Well, I feel like that's another little flashback to those early Dalek stories as well, where they try and avoid showing you too much of the Dalek. That's a little directorial flashback, I think, which for me works a lot better than the entire plot being recycled. Even the sound effects in the quarry when they're like stepping through that kind of like mud is just... Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> squelch, squelch, squelch. And then the Dalek mud fight thing. That said, in the run-up to this, the Daleks in the Plane of Stones is quite well shot. There's a part where the Doctor runs into the fog. I thought that was done pretty well. And then it unfortunately cuts from the studio to the location work. And that's very, very jarring, that transition. Painfully, painfully obvious. But it takes them quite a bit of time to do this whole wrestling match with the Daleks. I feel like the Daleks have gotten heavier because I feel like one person was able to take them out before, and now it's taken like two or three people. 
They've gotten chonky on this planet. <laughs> I also find it interesting that once they clean them out, they're like, you know what? Remek is going to go in there because apparently the woman is the only one who can fit. <laughs> well, last time it was Ian. So, you know, this <laughs> seems like equal distribution here. <laughs> but definitely shades of the first story again, as is the two-pronged attack plan. The only thing that was missing was shoving mud into the eyepiece. And that was replaced with the doctor's gadget in the cell. Yes. Yeah. All right, let's talk about Wester, because this is where he sadly sacrifices himself, releases the bacteria in the lab. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that was gross. The two-week-old tuna salad. He let it escape. <laughs> and then we finally get to see a Spiridon. Yeah, he's finally allowed an identity once he's, you know, sacrificed himself for the greater good. You're like, oh my god, it's some guy. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not exactly high on pathos. I almost felt bad for the Daleks trapped in the room, though. So did I. Especially as that one just starts like, we're trapped here forever. We can never leave. We can never leave. They're going to go nuts and mm -hmm. it's going to be real bad. Let's talk about the cliffhanger because one of the Thals underneath the spirit and cloak, you see his shoe and the Dalek sees his <laughs> shoe, which looked like Doc Martens to me, but I'm not a shoe expert, <laughs> but the Thals apparently have Doc Martens. So that's all cool. And Dalek sees it, emergency, emergency. And that's our cliffhanger. And now we get into episode six and what I had thought was episode four now makes a lot more sense as episode six. <laughs> and Don, what's the title of this one? Victory. Oh, well, that's boring. That's what? it? Yeah, I know. That's to, I didn't put too much of a voice in that. It's kind of disappointing. It Come on, Terry, you can do better than that. <laughs> episode six, the last one. Yeah. yeah, that's what it feels like, especially when the first one is called Destinous. That's like only half an effort there. Hooey. But it's time for running up and down some corridors. Yay, more Scooby-Doo. Yep. They really needed some stairs in there so they could get away from the Daleks. <laughs> yeah. Yes. They don't fly yet. They do not. But here's another little flashback. The Daleks destroyed the casing that Rebek was in before we see her get out. Yep. They did that with Ian before. Oh, Terry. Oh, Terry. <laughs> Let's talk about the Dalek Supreme, which, believe it or not, is not some sort of delicious ice cream. I was thinking, you know, like a taco. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sour cream. Dalek with guac costs extra. <laughs> he shows up. And he's bigger and he's got the bigger lamps and the flashing eye stalk as well. I think he looks glorious. I like the gold. Yeah, the gold looks good. But I would like to know everyone's opinion. I know it was difficult because it was in black and white and reconstructed, but Dalek Emperor, Dalek Supreme. Who do you prefer? Dalek Supreme can move around, so he's immediately yeah. got an advantage. He can move around. Well, I mean, I'm not talking about in a street fight here. I'm talking just, you know, <laughs> well, like, what do you prefer narratively? To be fair, he doesn't do much here. Yeah. So I can't really comment too terribly much. And he wasn't meant to. He was meant to come in and lead this glorious army, which let's talk about that adorable little Dalek <laughs> army of models. I think there was a model train that went around them <laughs> at one point. He looked really hard. That was very adorable. But are we just going to let slide that Riley just inadvertently invented the all Dalek version of West Side Story? <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> we're going to snap at each other and we're going to have a... Okay, sorry. <laughs> There goes my thoughts on West Side Story. <laughs> yeah, I can't comment on that, Riley. Hey, when you're a Thal, you're a Thal all the way. All right, I'll stop now. <laughs> all right, let's talk about LaTap because oh, this is where he finally makes his feelings for Joe clear. <laughs> Even though they barely know each other and he's worried that having something to live for, just like Taron with Rebek, will cloud his judgment and make him less willing to take risks and potentially die for the cause. Good God. I can't help but think that this is what the experience must be for women that deal with quote unquote nice guys. Like I showed him how to handshake and now I can't get this guy to go away. <laughs> yeah, this highlights what so many women go through. So many women. Maybe if he told her his mother was a human, he would have had a better chance. <laughs> 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 oh, boy. So to be fair, and it gets closer to the end, so I don't want to completely spoil it, but he handles it better than most other guys would. 
Right. Because yeah. she says That's true. no at the end. And he's like, okay. And he leaves. Like, that is not what most women go through. Most women go through the, oh, you're still stalking me. And it's six months later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Yeah. So on the scale of rejections, not stalked, bonus. Yes. But equally doesn't get a pantsuit out of it this time. So That's true. Yeah. But what if in the next episode we see him in the background of certain shots, like peering in windows? <laughs> <laughs> and if not, can someone add that in? You know, just as a favor. Hey, can he be like the guy from the faceless ones? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the apple creeper. Nice. I sent you a picture of my thaw. Please reply. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> okay, back to the episode. So this Dalek army, they can now maintain invisibility for up to two work cycles. The Dalek Supreme orders them unfrozen because we've got to ratchet up the tension because it's been sorely lacking in so many places <laughs> in this story up to this point. Yep. And then he destroys the lead Dalek for its failure to stop the Doctor and friends, which is pretty brutal. That'll teach him. Yeah. I actually love the model Dalek army. <laughs> yeah. Oh, me too. I think it's so fun. Like, think of all these little kids at home with their toy Daleks. They're now seeing them on screen. I'm like, oh, oh my God. That's actually a really good point. They yeah. could recreate that entire scene. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. No, that would be so much fun. Get a tiny little Dalek army and you get a giant bucket of water and you're like, yeah, <laughs> take them out. This also gives a little bit of padding because it's the scene where the sleepy Dalek accidentally knocks the bomb down into their little pit and the doctor has to go among them to go and rescue it. And the timing mechanism is broken, which has absolutely bugger all relevance to the plot <laughs> in the end. <laughs> Yep. Aside from making us think briefly that someone will probably have to sacrifice themselves. Spoiler, they don't. It might take me two minutes to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Why didn't you just do it? You could have had it done by the time you said that. Come on, buddy. A Joe and Lotep show up and just waste one of the bombs by just lobbing it at some Daleks. The one with the good timing mechanism at that. These bombs seem to have very variable amounts of power. Because <laughs> that was like a hand grenade. And then the other one causes a volcanic eruption. Yeah. <laughs> An ice volcanic eruption, of course. <sighs> All right, so the Daleks get covered in molten ice and they have to abandon their plan. We have a bit that I really enjoyed, though I felt like it was kind of thrown in at the last minute. We have the Doctor's Don't Glamorize War monologue. I like yeah. that. Which yeah. is nice, is a good point, but you know what would have been better? Maybe give that a bit of a setup in episode one, in episode three, maybe just, you know, just prepare us for that as, as what our big meaning is and then bring it home at the end. Don't just throw it in like it's just kind of like, you know. And the, the other frustrating thing about it is they weren't technically really like warriors. They were on like a scout mission seeing yeah. like what was going on and all this other stuff. So it was one of those things where I'm like, most of them were not, they, they weren't soldiers. Yeah, it was just Vapor that was the one that was all violent and gung ho. Go. Yeah, everyone else was very patient. And they've done something interesting with the Doctor in this story, in that the third Doctor is very much a man of action for the majority of his tenure. And in this story, he kind of takes a backseat and just occasionally dishes out sage advice about the meaning of courage and not glamorizing war. It's because it's Terry Nation writing for him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One of the critics, I think it was probably Sandiford, just takes this as this story is just easy for the Doctor. This is an easy problem for him. So he just takes a backseat and guides everyone else, which I thought was amusing, but I don't see that. I just think Terry Nation didn't know how to write the third Doctor and had no interest in learning how to write the third Doctor. As <laughs> long as the check clears, man. Yeah. yeah. You know what I was kind of sad about at the end of this was the fact that balls leave, whatever, that's fine. Dalek Supreme is chasing Joe and the Doctor. Love that little sequence. It's cute. And I was like, oh man, is he going to get stranded? And then immediately is like, hey, we need to get picked up. And I'm like, that was too easy for the Daleks. <laughs> I did like the line of we have been delayed, not defeated. The Daleks are never defeated. At last, there's nothing here that says it's the final end. We know it's never the final end. Yeah. They're always going to be back. So I'm glad they acknowledge it. Well, that's just Terry Nation writing that option. You know, to keep that future <laughs> request coming in, you know? You mean that future money coming in? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> They'll be back next season. <laughs> okay, once they get into the TARDIS, Joe was a little melancholy about turning down LaTap, which I thought was sweet. 
sweet but makes no sense yeah, yeah. i think she just yeah. felt a little bad for him she knows she made the right decision see my head canon here is that because she then leads in with the i want to go home i'm thinking she is of the idea of like i would like to have someone in my life not latep someone that's <laughs> back home on earth let's go back home that's what i'm thinking well what i found interesting is it seemed like this was some sort of like hint that you know she was almost like and i know you can't avoid spoilers and I'm just like, I'm interested as to why they had her stay on for one more serial when she could have just left with LaTep, which they would have done with a Susan or Vicky. I find that interesting. Do you already know how she leaves? No, I don't. All right. So we'll keep our mouths shut on that for next time. I do. Yeah, you've seen it before, Riley. <laughs> I don't know. That just makes me imagine the third doctor actually going back to unit without her. And just casually trying to explain to the brig, oh, she's on a planet called Scaro. It's been destroyed, full of Daleks. Don't worry about it. It's fine. No. Yeah, it's cool. She wanted to go. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry about forwarding her paychecks. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That takes us to the end of the story. So let's go ahead and rate this. And so we will start with Don this time around. I think my feelings on this are kind of obvious in that. I liked it, but I liked it because it's a mishmash of every other thing Terry Nation has written for the series. You've got all the little tropes, just certain things that happen. And you're like, oh, hey, I remember that happened. And it filled me with kind of a nostalgic feeling. On the other hand, it's padded. It's occasionally disgusting, which amused me, but bothered Riley. But it's still enjoyable. So I'm going to give it slightly above middling six and a half chonky Daleks out of ten. Okay, Julie, you're up next. It's a tough one because as we've talked about, it's a lot of greatest hits and it's very nostalgic, but it's very padded and there's some issues with it and it's kind of slow, a little bit meandering and doesn't tie in with the previous serial whatsoever. So it's hard for me to like love this one, but it's still pretty solid. So I'm going to give it seven infatuated thals out of 10. All right, Riley. I think I have Dalek fatigue because I feel like when they are used, they are bringing nothing new or interesting to the show at this point. I mean, you obviously you can't change them too much because the Daleks are the Daleks, but is what they're contributing really that great at this point? The Master was used a lot on the show and he was a static character. He wasn't really changed much, but he had tons of, and you know what I'm going to say here, charisma. The Daleks, not so much. I still enjoyed this serial. I would have enjoyed it more if it was some other villain in it that brings something new to the table because we have that patented Terry Nation story backbone outline there that he gets paid for. The sets were great. Pace, I thought, was decent. It's a fun little adventure. It just it felt too standard, too safe. So I'm going to go middle of the road on this one. I give it seven disgusting piles of beige slop out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> and that brings it back to me. And I feel like I've complained a lot this podcast episode about this serial and about Terry Nation's repetition of prior plot points. That being said, I did actually really enjoy this. I thought it was fun. I think that, as Don said, those recurring plot points bring those kind of warm, fuzzy, nostalgic feelings. Was it perfect? Absolutely not. But I still really enjoyed watching it, and I feel like over the course of our discussion, I might have been a little unfair in how much I've criticized it. I do think that LaTap falling for Joe was very poorly handled, but aside from that, I actually don't have much to complain about. I think I'm on the same page as Julian Riley, and I'm going to give this 7 out of 10 Terry Nation tropes. <laughs> You know, I think you guys convinced me. Just bump mine up to a seven. <laughs> okay. Because it's one of those things, I don't love it. I don't hate it. I don't want to be too hard on it. So, All right. So seven all round. That gives us seven out of 10 in total, which makes it the second highest scoring episode of the season so far. That brings us to the end of our podcast episode. So we will be back next time when we are off to a tiny village in Wales where we will encounter the Green Death. But in the meantime, as always, thank you so much for listening and have a good one.
You have been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Don Smith, Riley Shrek, Julie Philippek, and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, Terry Nation's Greatest Hits, was recorded on Wednesday the 16th of March 2022. If this is your first time listening into the show, all of our previous episodes are available wherever you like to get your podcasts. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at at Watchers4D, and you can also email us at Watchers4D at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and consider leaving us a review or rating on your favorite podcasting app. All of those things really do help the show. And always remember, if you created the Daleks, you too could get away with relentlessly plagiarizing yourself.